Welcome to Vino Week, Episode 7, brought to you by Vino 101. Welcome to Vino Week. I'm Bill. Hello, I'm Al. Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Bill, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. What's um, what's shaking? Uh, well, you know, the big thing for me is it's been my birthday weekend, so I've been stretching it out as much as I can. I've uh, used that used that with my wife, and well, you know, it's my birthday. It's typical, <laughs> typical hot holiday. I, I I'm the same way. I try to milk it for all it's worth, especially <laughs> as I'm getting older. For sure, I had um. We were over at uh, we watched the uh, Mayweather Pacquiao fight with some friends uh, last night. A little bit underwhelming, but it, uh, I, you know those fights like that they tend to be like that. I think a lot. You know those big matchups, regardless of what sport it is. Yeah, the buildup was. Uh, you know they often don't live to the hype, right? Did not live up to the hype, but um, one of my um, one of the people that was was there, she said, um, she goes, yeah, when I have my birthday, I treat it like Kwanzaa. <laughs> she tried <laughs> extended for a couple of weeks, you know. I think that's they got the best. That Kwanzaa's got the best plan. That is a good. That is a good deal. That's you know. I'm a, you you have to it makes you think, huh? Well, you know, or you're just an equal opportunity. You celebrate them all. Yes, yes. Your Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. It's just just take from Thanksgiving to the to the New Year off. That's the right plan. Do it all. Do it yeah, all. Get it all in. <laughs> That's great. so we. So, right, we've so got, we should talk about the world of wine and what's going on. Yeah, it, it, like I, I was thinking it was kind of a slow week, but as I look back, I, maybe it wasn't such a slow week. Yeah, there's plenty going on. It's a big yeah, world. It's a yeah, big world. There's a little less going on locally, which is kind of nice, so we get to expand our scope here this time around. Oh, we can go local. That's not going to die. I've seen a <laughs> lot of that. We, I think we could make an entire – we might have to do a special on the Dairyman Winery. Oh my gosh! <laughs> the, the opposition is becoming fierce. Uh, yeah, all the all the heavy hitters and all the names are regularly showing up in all the articles. The last one was my God, it was six pages. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, so, shall we start with uh, uh, Tesla? Yeah, that's that's great. Let's we can we can talk tech for a little bit in the beginning here. So, yeah, that's, uh, that'll be right up uh, right up your alley. I'll just kind of just see what I see if I can keep up with you. But oh, Tesla, good. yeah. So what's up with Mister Elon Musk and his merry band of people from Tesla? Well, as usual, he's an innovator and he's thinking uh, fifteen, twenty years ahead of everybody else. <laughs> Either that, or he just built a ginormous battery factory and he needs to know how to pay for it. <laughs> Probably a little bit of truth in both. <laughs> he's been described so, as one of the best. Um, um, one of the people that's the smartest at applying sort of engineering science. So, and, you know, if you study engineering, right, it's not just about making stuff. It's also about controlling. It's about working within the costs that you, that you have, right? I mean, you can make some awesome machine, but if nobody can afford it, what good is it? Yeah, and you, and you also have to, you know, I mean, marketing is everything. So you, you, once you make it, you, you do have to go out and sell it. Yeah. And, and, he's and got, that's what he's... Yeah. That's what he's doing right now. So and what and so what's the drill, right? He he he's so he's 
got a he did build a big factory. They've called it. I heard it described as a super factory mm-hmm. in uh, Nevada. But it looks like he's building um, a, a power system that includes a battery for homes. Well, I, I think initially, I believe initially, isn't it going to be for businesses? I, I, yeah, I think it's going to be for commercial businesses because it's just it's just too darn expensive for for a house. Yeah. I I believe. Um, but he's uh, he's piloted it at one of our favorite places uh, with Jackson Family Wines. And they've actually uh, had this uh, installed in a few of their uh, operations. I'm not I know Jackson Family Wine's been going through a really big thing with solar energy. Yeah. recent, And they're pretty much outfitting all of their all of their operations with uh, solar energy. Oops. I think that's me, Bill. Yeah. See if I can, see if I can get rid of that. Some window that happened. I tell you. Sorry, folks. See, I, you can there. There you go. You can see my rookiness with my technology. Oh no, no, no! That's the aggressiveness of advertising. <laughs> it's true. Don't so, you love it? You like show up on a web page and it just starts talking at you. It's like what? Oh, what? it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's, it's, it's just awful. It's, it is what it is. So, what what are your thoughts on um, this huge battery pack? This battery pack, I suppose, the idea behind it is it's supposed to smooth out the peak demands. So, you know, when it gets super, super hot and they're telling everybody out here, well, you know, you should really watch your usage. Don't run your washer and dryer, you know, don't uh, run your dishwasher, you know, when everyone's home at five. Well, they're saying, you know, for a winery, if they're going through certain operations where they have to turn on all the refrigeration for something, if they're going through cold stabilization, it sucks up a lot of energy. So what these batteries do is they help smooth out the peaks when they're actually using their energy. And um, what it does is, uh, you know, you're, you're familiar with on-demand energy. So if you're if you're using energy at a peak period, you might be paying more for that energy. So for them, they're looking at the cost savings. Well, we'll switch to our batteries during these peak times and cut down on our cost. And, uh, you know, that's legitimate. Not only are they helping the environment, I guess, in some small way. But they're also cutting their um, operational cost. Yeah, I, I. So I, you know, I think all of this stuff is smart. You know, it's and it's you know first generation, but it 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 makes a lot of sense to to you know try to solve the power distribution problem through decent you know through decentralizing things like this. Um, I I also believe that it can. And of course, all the devil is in the details with regard to how effective this can be. But I believe this thing will buy power when it's when the demand's not as high, the rates are cheaper. So as you say, it smooths out the distribution issue for PG&E, but it also provides less cost to the owner. So, and I, I you know, I also think it's interesting. They said it's going to cost several thousand dollars and price it out of most homes. You know, in Sonoma County had a pretty innovative energy program a number of years ago where they would. If you were a homeowner, you could buy, I think it was anything that would reduce your bill like 10% or more, mm-hmm. and they would finance it with your property taxes. So like you could put solar on your house, and instead of having the county would effectively give you a, a no-interest or very low-interest loan and bundle it into your um, property tax. So a lot of people got solar. So you know, if you get if this is one of those things you could buy with that program, 
I think it, it's still going. Um, you know, it could be pretty. Yeah, I mean, definitely help with power outages. I mean, we have power outages around here. I mean, that's everything from storms to, you know, a squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> deciding to get fried by a transformer. So, I, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Well, and and KJ or, or Jackson Family Wines is, is leading the way. And a lot of the other heavy hitters are also following suit. Um, you know, Boise Family Estates has solar panels. Uh, Raymond Vineyards, I believe. I think all of their, I mean, Wase owns Raymond Vineyards. I think it's all run by solar, if I'm not mistaken. That's awesome. Uh, and also their parent or their uh, sister operation, Deloach Vineyards in Russian River Valley, is is solar. So as these big players start doing this, you know, a lot of the, the medium-sized players are also going to, you know, probably follow suit and fall in line. Yeah. Definitely a good idea. So... Uh, what else do we got techie wise? So how about how about the doorman? Oh, loving the doorman. What is the door? What is the doorman? So we got a lot of people who are interested in this. Um, it's an app that will um, they'll basically take delivery of any package that you get, and then you can schedule delivery with the app or through the app with them, and they'll bring it when you're around. So, um, and there's a great picture in the. Uh, I think it was Vinography that we, we found this article. Um, and uh, there's a picture of the guy's door with seven labels on it. Yes. <laughs> of like, hey, I've been here. I I have wine or I have something I need a signature for and it's gone. So the idea of the app is is they take delivery and then you can schedule. Um, you can schedule pick. I, I think they'll, you can schedule delivery at a time that's convenient to you or you – or you can pick it up. I don't remember if that's true. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a it's kind of a big deal if you if you like to order. I mean, we really should do a, 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 on the whole thing of ordering wine online and ordering through retailers and having it shipped because I've 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 been doing that a lot more frequently. And part of the reason I do it is the wines. You know, it expands your uh, your horizons as far as the type of wines that are available. You know, I have my my stores that I go to to buy. But what happens is you eventually you get locked in and you start typically you, you get pigeonholed in just certain types of wines and you just get more selection if you can go, you know, outside of your area. Yeah. And it used to be kind of a crapshoot at some, some, um, with regard to, you know, getting wine shipped to you, you know, it's on the weather's fine. You order it's on the East coast and, you know, halfway across the country, they hit Texas, and it turns out that there's a you know a freak heat wave. Yeah, and there and there get, is that point. Yeah, and, you get, and I've, you get your cooked bottle. You know, I mean, it can happen. I think that, but I think all of that's getting better. It happens a lot, and and most of your high end, re, most of your quality retailers that actually care about you and care about the business and they're want you to come back. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're, they're not, not going to ship you wine if you know if they know the wine's going to you know come under stress. And typically what a lot of them will do, especially in the summertime, is they'll tell you, we're not shipping your wine yeah. till, till the fall. Yeah. And then uh, they just hold on to it. And then uh, they'll let you know, it's like, hey, the weather's a little bit more common. Now is a good time. We're going to send you your wine. And that's how it goes. So I buy a lot of vino in the wintertime. And uh, it's almost like cutoff time now. I just like I just bought some wine uh, and had it shipped from uh, Oregon, not that far. You know, it's like a two-day thing. But it is definitely warmer, so it's a little bit of a risk. 
But I like the idea of being able to, with Doorman, have the package when you want it. Uh, you know, for me, it's, I mean, it's no big deal to have it delivered at the office, but, you know, it would be nice to just have it delivered to the house when I'm at home or pick it up, like you said. What's in the box? <laughs> oh, wine? Can we, let's open it. At my office, everybody knows what's in the box already. <laughs> it's when you have the two-buck chuck in your locker. Oh, this came today. It's what? like, Al, you got you what? got another delivery. Oh, and I always go, what's in it? And they go, we know what's in there. <laughs> Good old wine. Well, this 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 story I think dovetails in some level, in some way, to the uh, another story that we were that I that we um, posted this week about Empire Wine in New York, mm-hmm. who is having a bit of spat with the uh, New York State Liquor Authority because they're shipping wine to places you supposedly can't ship wine, and you know some of these tech companies got you know I think of um, Airbnb and Uber, you know. Are, are flaunting or skirting the line of legality, definitely in gray areas with regard to their operations. They also, because they're taking that risk, are valued very high. Um, right. I believe both those companies, Uber and, and Airbnb, I'm not 100% sure about Airbnb, have valuations north of a billion dollars. So, um, you know, Empire Wine's kind of like, you know, kind of flaunting it in terms of like, hey, there's a market here. I'm going to service this market. And, you know, I'm willing to, you know, we've seen this too um, with winemakers who are flaunting environmental regulation. Or I shouldn't say flaunting, but skirting a line on it. It's just like, yeah, I'll pay the fine. You know, yeah. I'll pay the 50K fine to get 500K worth of business. Um, and of course, this is, you know, this is basically, you know, somebody's going to keep pushing on this. Maybe these guys won't and won't be the guys to win, but, you know, a big retailer will eventually be like, I'm going to deliver anywhere. I'm not even well, gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna skirt the three tier system. Well, without mentioning any names, you know, a lot of the smaller players in the wine industry they already bootleg and ship to states where they're not allowed to. That's fairly common practice. Yeah, um, and what's even interesting is the delivery services do it. Yes, <laughs> they'll, they'll, you know, you're, you'd see the FedEx guy in the wine shop downtown. It's it's you their know, business. You're not, supposed, you're not supposed to do that. It's uh, it's don't ask, don't tell of yeah. wine sales. Yeah, t- totally, <laughs> totally. Well, it just it. I I think what's interesting about that is so this is all kind of happening under the radar, and it's it it is you know, um, you know maybe that's okay that both there's a three tier system and that works fine. There's also the direct and that works fine, and the market, the market's not shrinking. Yeah, Americans. well, I disagree with you. I don't think the three three tier system works fine, at least not for the consumer. Well, I'm just I I don't mean I don't mean it that way. I mean it's operating. And, yeah, yeah. You know, it, and nobody's. I mean the the three tier system in New York is definitely trying to shut the direct the direct sales guy down. But um, yeah, it's 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 akin to uh, you know you opening up your restaurant and somebody visiting you and saying you know hey we really really appreciate you putting this restaurant in. We're going to be coming by every week to collect X amount of dollars from you. Make sure you have it ready for us. Uh, just remember that the three-tier system came out of Prohibition, right? So, you know, before that, that system was in place during Prohibition. I'm just saying. Yeah, 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 well. Of, they made it legal. 
<laughs> and now there's it, a whole there's a whole new bunch of lawbreakers coming in delivering the delivering the hooch. Yeah, it's a it's a it's you don't legal. Need to talk to those other guys. Just buy from me. <laughs> that's exactly what's going on. You just boiled it down. I mean, that's it, right? That's what's going on, and it's like you know, it's that's so my nut. It's like a bunch of squirrels fighting over a, a few nuts. Well, <laughs> well, it's more than a few nuts. But it's, it's, yeah. It's, uh, and speaking of more than a few nuts, the the Napa Valley wine auction's coming up. Oh man, great segue. I'm uh, I'm I'm anxious to look over that list and see what I can you know put a bid in for. Well, I was like, what's the story though? Well, um, is this the first time? This will be the first time that you can actually, um, yeah, you can can bid online. You don't have to be there. You do not do not have to be there. You can bid online. Um, Let me see if I can uh, dig up the dig up the site here real quick and find out when it actually starts. Uh, Sonoma, Sonoma just had a wine auction too, right? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to read about that. Just happened a few days ago, right? You know anything about that? it was it, it sounded like it uh, the proceeds went to the Napa Valley or sorry Sonoma Valley Wine Growers Association okay and the the, the gist of the article was is how um, a lot of high dollar items and a lot of um, like KNL wine merchants were here there were famous names buying looking for exclusivity Mm-hmm. Okay. Exclusive wines. So, um, and how much money it went for, and basically, it it's talking about how, because of the amount of money and the people who were there, how you know it's, you know, Sonoma. As people in Sonoma will say, oh, you know, Napa is a four letter word. We have just a good as wine. There's always some level of you know trying to. Um, play ketchup i think with sort of the super premium wines that go on in napa so it was right. that comparison was happening in that article and how oh you know this is maybe you know getting it a little closer to napa because of the you know amount of money that's involved i don't know whether that's true but well we really true. should make an effort to go to one of these events i mean i, I, I was thinking that too I mean, when could... i read the article about going to a wine auction just to like see what it's like yeah, you get uh, you know you get to meet some of the top winemakers in the area. I mean, these are all the uh, Napa Valley's top winemakers. Um, you get to see some uh, you know sample some gourmet foods, meet some star chefs. Yeah, I mean you know probably taste some pretty incredible wines. I would imagine. Well, I mean there could be a big you know a worse way to spend a day. Yeah, it could be a worse way to spend a day. That's true. You know, so the the auction starts. Um, you can go on and start viewing it uh, this week coming up, says the week of May 4th, to see what they have. I think it's going to be 120 different e-auction lots. These will all be uh, – and the allure is that you can purchase wines and lots that you won't be able to purchase anywhere else, yeah. you know, one-offs, so to speak. Yeah. And that's what makes it, you know, so coveted. Yeah. So, so these, uh, are, these are wines that – Existing retailers or other packagers of wine, and uh, primarily retailers, I guess, or maybe collectors, come and get, and, you know, the retailers bottle for their special clients, and the collectors obviously put that stuff down um, because they collect. Yeah, and it would be like, I mean, it would be almost, 
I mean, I, you've probably heard the term unicorn wine, but it would be that type of thing. You know, I, I have something that nobody else has, you know, and, and if you're a retailer, you put something like that in one of your glass displays or something. So, you know, as, as a, a showpiece for your, um, your outlet. Uh, let's see the auction, the bidding starts May 31st. And that's when you can start bidding. And, uh, the virtual gavel comes down on June 6th. So you got to have your final, you got, (laughs) you got to have your final bid in by eight o'clock PM on June 6th. So I'm going to definitely go and check it out and look and see what's there. And, uh, you know, Maybe there's something interesting that I that you could bid on for us, Bill. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Just can't let me I just need your bank routing number and your account number. <laughs> there we go. Uh you know what? Uh, uh, uh I'm a Methuselah of Harlan Cabernet or something, you know, that you yeah, could exactly. <laughs> Oh, that's gonna happen. Um so speaking of luxury goods, how about champagne? Somebody went to Champagne, right? Yeah, Alder went to Champagne, and boy, was he shocked. And who's Alder? Uh, Alder's posted. Uh, he has a um, he has the the site Vinography, and uh, he's written some books. He's kind of a tastemaker. He has a book called The Essence of Wine, which you, if you haven't um, had an opportunity to read, I'd recommend that you read. It's uh, it's interestingly he pens it. It says a wine book like no other, and uh, it's really true. It is a wine book like no other wine book you've ever read before, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> well, it it is. It is. Okay. He's uh, he's he's an interesting fellow because he can go. Um, what I always found amazing was that he would go to these tastings and he could um, he would uh, have these extensive uh, notes and ratings on like just like 50, 60, 70 wines and. You know, I mean, he must just have an incredible uh, palate because, I mean, if I go to a large tasting, you know, especially when there's a whole bunch of people around, I'm good for like maybe 30 wines tops oh, and I'm if, done. If, yeah, and my palate, my palate by the end of like 25 is just, it's, it's toast. Yeah, so I, I, mean, I just. It's like, yep, that's wine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so I, so it's good. Based on that alone, I, I just think it's just amazing. But what he did was he went to Champagne and uh, he was walking through the Grand Cru vineyards of uh, Cote de Blanc and um, uh, near the village of Abis. And he took some pictures of the ground. And what he found out was that the, the, the vineyards were just literally covered in trash. And uh, there wasn't any grass. There was no weeds. I mean, it was just trash everywhere and he was like what the heck is going on here and what's happened is over the years in champagne they have uh used so many herbicides and uh they they cut a deal with the french government uh let me i I don't want to misquote here let me get this right about um 50 years ago they cut a deal with the french government they needed some organic material for their vineyards so um what they did was uh, they, they cut a deal with Paris and, and they paid for um, 
the transportation costs and the city of Paris shipped them their trash. And uh, they used they sprinkled that trash in the vineyards because they wanted the, um, the organic benefits. And it was a win win for everybody because Paris, they got rid of their trash and uh, Champagne got some free fertilizer. So uh, it, it, it was working out pretty good. But what happens is over the years is uh, and this all this stuff adds up. So when you look through. You know, at the time, it wasn't such a big deal when they first started it. You had uh, human waste, you had wood, hemp, you know, food straps, not a big deal. But as we became more industrialized, you started getting more weird things in your trash. Uh, cigarette butts, uh, glass, plastics, all of the things we started to grow. I'm just thinking of that famous quote, I've got one word for you, plastics. (laughs) <laughs> plastics exactly. the graduate right plastics. so as we all know a lot of these a lot of these materials are um they're less inert than others so to speak so uh that's what you end up with and uh if you go to this uh this particular post uh you can there's a little video you can see him walk through the vineyards and he actually takes a video and it's just i mean it's it's almost it's almost repulsive um but uh, it was posted. Um, well, we got. We'll have the link up, and he titles it "A Better Future for the Soils of Champagne." So they're making efforts to to change things, and obviously they've outlawed um, bringing trash from Paris and dumping it in the vineyard. I think they stopped doing that probably over ten years ago. Um, but you know, the stuff doesn't go away. Once it's there, it's there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think a, m- many people realize, but like factory farmed corn you know grape growing is monocropping yes you know it it and you know i don't know how else you're going to do it i mean you got to put the vines in the ground but and they are vines so i mean they're called they're you know their um, biology is a little bit different than you know say corn where it's sort of a you know a perennial versus an annual right yeah um, but it, it is still sort of a you know a single crop so you know the land, the land. You know it's it uh, because it's you know it's cultivated. It you know it blows away and you know all you get erosion and all of that stuff. So you know dumping a bunch of garbage um, into the vineyards. You know eventually that soil that's covering it or you know might be used for cover will go away and then the stuff that doesn't degrade is going to be around. So. And when it's in the dirt, I don't know. I mean, how do you clean it up? I mean, you literally have to do it by hand. It's not like you can. Yeah, you have to almost roll a machine through there. That's gonna. I guess you could make a machine that's gonna trap it somehow and let the dirt go through. I don't know. It's, yeah, like it, a like a, a giant sifter or something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's got to be a mess though. Yeah, and it, so, the fact is, it's in one of their top uh, their yeah, top yeah. Uh, champagne vineyards. I always thought I tasted Twinkies in some of those wines. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, you have a prestige product, you know, so you probably want to uh, probably want to follow through with some some uh, more careful operations on the other end. And and to dovetail with that, um, there was an article with uh, in Palette Press. It was penned by Carolyn Henry, and it's about sustainable growing in Champagne. And how there's a concerted effort to actually clean up 
and not uh, clean up all the and, and change the industrialized agricultural policies that are there uh, in the Champaign area. Well, it and, looks like uh, they, it, it, sorry to step over you, it looks like they, um, May of last year was they, they had a sustainable um, wine growing certification under their wine law. Yeah, yeah, it's um, so, I mean, it's a long name, yeah. Viticultural Durable y Champagne. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I think it's interesting that they're just sort of, you know, the the champagne producers are just starting sort of this biodynamic, organic, sustainable. It's late. There are a lot of people already on that bandwagon. Yeah, they're late. They're very, very late in the game. But uh, in their defense, some really, really major players are uh, in the champagne industry are getting involved in it. So, I mean, a lot of the, the, the bigger labels, the bigger champagne houses. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a it's across the board. It has to be, you know, the growers have to be involved and convinced that this is something that will work for them. You know, if I'm going to change my ways and I'm going to do this, it's going to cost me a little bit more to do this. Then how am I going to be compensated? So, you know, it's, you know, you, you got the whole village has to buy in, so to speak. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, most champagne, champagne is there's just a, a, a small number, a small percentage of people that actually grow it and make it. Most people that grow the grapes for champagne, they just sell to the major houses. And that's, you know, that's how the business, that's the business model. Right. And you want to make sure you can sell your juice or your yeah. grapes, I should say. Um, and I, I'm and I, make some wine out of it. And I always say this, you know, growers are growers, and you know they get paid by the pound. So, <laughs> yeah. Really... Well, I mean, that's that's the that's the business. <laughs> All right. What so... else we got? Oh, hey, there was an interesting um, uh, article in the Press Democrat uh, about uh, the blind tasting program led by a guy who's a computational chemist. Um. He was blind. He was blind like right after birth. And um, he um, he leads blind tasting tests. And he's got uh, yeah, he's got a PhD in computational organic chemistry. His name is uh, – um, I can't remember his – got to go back to the beginning. Hobby Wedler. Uh, mm -hmm. And he's – UC Davis, and I think at Coppola's Winery in Geyserville, they do this blind tasting, and people who take it say he tells things, he they, people learn things about wine they never knew or weren't going to be able to experience until they had their um, vision taken away. Yeah, and it's interesting, uh, you look in the photo, you know, it, it is, uh, I mean, it's really what you would call a blind tasting, because the people in the background not only are they drinking wine out of blacked out wine glasses, but they're also blindfolded as they're drinking the wines. So if you want to take out any hint or any preconceptions when you're tasting something, that's the way to do it. Yeah, totally. And it really, um, I bet you people who, um, uh, it, it's going to, I'll assume that for many people, I think it's a safe statement to make. Um, who experience a blind tasting like this are going to up their game in terms of their tasting, you know, their how they taste and what they, you know, what they experience and what they're looking for. Oh, yeah. 
Hey, Bill, we got a little static on the line. I'm not sure what it is. There's something going on. Huh. You, you I'm, that? Not he- I'm not hearing it. Oh, you know, it could be, it could be, a, there's a pump that just turned on in my house. Okay. All right. That's what it is. And we're getting well, turn close. That, we, we turn that pump right. off, Bill. Turn it off. I can't. It's on a timer. <laughs> and honestly, it's the hot tub pump. <laughs> okay. Well, that's important. <laughs> yeah, it is. It needs to be cleaned. <laughs> the young scrummians have it, it. It needs to circulate. Yeah, this happens. This it gets happens. used. It gets used. It's all good. <laughs> um. So what else we got? We got anything else we should? Um. I. I didn't mention uh, this one earlier, but let's see. Uh, oh no, I, I think I did mention this earlier. This is in science. Uh, uh, this is a, in a science uh, 2.0 article. And uh, it's about vegan wine, and yeah, it's titled was, "Just in yeah. Just in Case You Thought Your Wine Was Vegan." You you know I had to bring that in. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, it, it, all right. So what's vegan wine? Well, you know, if you're on a vegan diet, you know, it's a big deal. A lot of people make a yes. they make a this notion, this preconceived notion that oh well, if it's wine, it must be vegan because all it is is it's just grapes, right? Uh, and. Well, it's just it's just grapes that are fermented. I mean, you know, I mean, come on, it's it, it must be vegan, but you know well, that's, that's how it that's how it starts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's where you're making a little bit of a misstep because you know, essentially, if that's all it was, if you know, it, on its base, if you just had some grapes, you mashed them up and you let them ferment on their own and you put them in a bottle, yeah, sure, it would be vegan, but wine isn't really made that way. Yeah. Well, that would be called natural wine, right? That'd be called natural wine, or in some cases, it might be called vinegar. So, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, that's you know, that's uh, why chemistry exists. So, winemakers have to do things to make the wine palatable, and uh, one of the things they do is they clarify the wine. And uh, when you're clarifying the wine, you're getting rid of all of the things, or, or some of the things that are a result of the winemaking process. When you squeeze the grapes. Certain things get by, um, like the skins, uh, maybe some of the pips, some of the stems. Certain things get in the in the product and or remain in the vat once it's actually turned into wine. Well, and there's time you've ever made anything with fruit or some vegetables where you need to process them. I'm thinking of a tomato. Like try to get all the tomato seeds out of a tomato. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen. Stuff comes through. <laughs> yes, it comes through. Same thing happens so, in winemaking. So you you have to you have to clear the wine, and the natural way to clear it is just have it in the vessel, and you know a lot of the things will fall to the bottom of that vessel, whatever it is, and I won't get into all the details. But sometimes the wine can still be cloudy, and that nothing you know it's 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 a homogenous mixture. And you can't get that out. So what winemakers do is they, they use a process called fining. And there's a number of uh, fining agent, agents they'll use. And uh, there's usually – there's a few kinds. And, and a lot of them, unfortunately, have to do with animal proteins, which is uh, would be against a vegan diet. Yeah, um, the, the most common one would be egg whites. Yeah, and and uh, then they use uh, gelatin. And uh, they can also use, and I'm not sure how you say this, but uh, casein, which is uh, derived from a milk product. And oh, then they also ca- use... That's called caseinate. Caseinate? Yes. 
Thank you. I've been involved with that product. There you go. Okay, Dairy Man Bill. Yeah. Yeah. and Nate. And then there's uh Ensign Glass, which is which is uh comes from the um the the swim bladder of a fish. So they use all of these things to to clean the wine. So if you're a vegan, you're like, hey, wait a minute. Those are animal products. So typically these products aren't left in the wine when it's when it's when it's clarified, but they've been used to make the wine. So technically you wouldn't be able They're to drink wines to use those. Yeah. There's well, a way to get around it though. There's a way to get around it. And you can use um bentonite, which is essentially like a silica or a clay. And you can use bentonite, you put that in the wine, it takes out all the things that are in suspension, and then you can uh, – so you have to ask if you want to find out if your wine is vegan or not. You're going to have to ask. And it can be kind of difficult to find out if a wine is vegan or not. You'd have to right. ask the producer, really. Good luck. Because <laughs> it's, it's not on the label. <laughs> Good luck with that. But I'll bet you um, 12 to 18 months from now, we're going to start seeing vegan on the label. There'll be the big V for vegan. Well, if there's one thing we've learned over the past – several months and, and over the year is that there is going to be a change with wine labeling. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, a lot of people are already embracing starting to, uh, actually tell what the process is, w- what they're using to make their wines and what they're not using. So, um, this is, this is coming and, and it's, how do they say there was a, it's, it's not going away. Not anytime soon. Not going away. So speaking of things that are in your wine that you don't want in your wine, we got uh, another vintner over in uh, France, over in Burgundy, that's uh, holding the line and uh, deciding that he's not going to spray his uh, vineyards with uh, petrochemicals. And his name is, uh, what is this gentleman's name? Thibault Liger Belair, and he's in, uh, he's not, actually he's not formally, I guess he's not in Burgundy, or he is in Burgundy, he's, he farms his um, vineyards in uh, Moulin-Avant, which is uh, a department in uh, Beaujolais, and this is the uh, crux of it. The the Burgundy uh, Council said, hey, you everyone needs to spray their vineyards with this because they're trying to um, stop the infestation of flavescence dorée, and it's an incurable disease. And what it does is it causes the leaves of the vines to essentially die back. You got no leaves on the vine. You have no grapes. Um, so insecticide treatments are... They're designed to kill um, the the um, the carrier of this disease, and it's a it's a it's a leaf hopper. It's a, like a you know a, fan, a fancy word fly that flies around in the vineyard. And as he's in the vineyard and eating or or puncturing the leaves or whatever, it spreads the disease. Jeez, so a nightmare. yeah. So um, if you remember, there was a, um, there was a, a Burgundian winemaker that uh, was actually being threatened with taking being put in jail for in Dijon for not uh, you know not applying these um, yeah, these not uh, petrochemicals, yeah. Yeah. and uh, he was actually uh, exonerated. He wasn't uh, he was cleared of everything, and he didn't have to pay any fines. Now the way this guy is getting away with saying that he's not doing that he doesn't have to do it is he's saying he's outside of the bounds of Burgundy, 
and that where he actually farms, he straddles the Rhone district. So that's how he's kind of getting away with saying that he doesn't have to do it. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's almost it kind of uh, reminds me of the whole thing of, you know, if one person does something that is deemed uh, dangerous to the, the whole community and whole or group of people do that, should they be allowed to do that or should it should it be legislated that they not? And it, it kind of brings into, uh, to my mind anyway, the thing that we're going through here in California with um, uh, the uh, immunizations. With, oh, uh, right, kids. right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I don't want my kid immunized because I think, you know, this is not good. But, I mean, everyone knows that immunizations are good and they stop really horrible diseases. So, I mean, should they be yeah, allowed to I, do that? Yeah, I – well, the the law that's being written revolves around kids going to school, so mm-hmm. you know there's a public, clear public health issue there. Um, but yeah, I you know it's a it's a conundrum in terms of these guys who want to sort of um, you know make sure their plants survive versus those that are willing to take some risk. They want to try to produce a product that's more natural. Tough call. Yeah, it is a tough call. Not it's, it's it's hard to say what. So and and on another note, with people that grow wines, have you ever have you ever heard the term? Uh, you, you go to wineries and uh, sometimes you you be in a tasting room and a person will ask, well, what clone is this and what clone is that? Yes. <laughs> well, this is kind of a. There's an article uh, that was in the. Um, it's by Mary Orlin, and it was in uh, uh, San Jose Mercury News, and it's about how the Winty clone. Which is if you're a Chardonnay fan, uh, just about almost all of California's 100,000 acres of Chardonnay are planted to Winty Clone Four. Yeah, it's like all it's like 90 percent or some ridiculous number like that. Yeah. So um, it's all the same. So it's all the same grape. <laughs> it's all the grape. Just it's all just deliciousness. But he yeah. talks about uh, Winty, which uh, Winty Vineyards, which is uh, down in um, Winty Vineyards. Wh- what area? They're in Livermore, aren't they? Livermore, yeah, they're in, they're in Livermore, and I've never been there. But I remember when I first got into um, the wine business, Winty. It, well, it still is a big label, but it was really big back east. But anyway, the guy that really? developed the Winty clone was Ernest. Uh, Ernest Winty, and he was one of the first of the graduating class of viticulture and enology in 1912 from UC Davis. And when he, he had a he had a, a real uh, penchant for Chardonnay, and when he graduated, he started experimenting with Chardonnay and uh, trying to find the very best sources for it. So um, through his selections, he propagated vines over like 30 or 40 years. And here you have the Winty clone. And that's a cool piece of wine history. Yeah. So now you know. So yeah. go in there and, and, and uh, flout your Winty clone knowledge. That's, exactly. That's really cool. So other than that, I don't have anything. Uh, you know, there was one real interesting article. I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. It's called The Power of Perception. Yep. Yep. We should talk about that. Did you did you see that article? Yeah, I read that article. Go ahead. It's it's yeah, interesting. 
Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. I, I got it off the uh, Tacovino uh, um, site, and um, this person was uh, actually out to dinner uh, with a uh, client, and they were trying to you know keep the the expense account reasonable, but they wanted to have something that was decent, but you know not like super crazy, and they didn't want to do the the regular uh, Silver Oak. Uh, no. Yeah, he, was, he was talking about how you know when he goes out you know, when that um, uh, when they when he goes out he's always looking for wines that are you know in his price range that are interesting and not um, you know not cabernet you know they're not the traditional sort of things you would be looking for something unique yeah so he ended up with uh, a bottle of 2011 Emiliano Coyam. Uh, which is from uh, Chococua Valley in Chile. And uh, basically he talked about it was a wild wine. Yeah, he was and, uh, and how he had this perception, um, and it could be he or she, I'm not sure at this point, yeah. uh, how, they, <laughs> yeah, how they had a perception that, I mean, because it was an expensive wine, I believe. It was um, on the and- list. Wasn't it like eighty bucks or something? I was gonna say it's eighty bucks a bottle, or that was that was the price range that he's like. That's you know, and, and for eighty bucks you could buy a lot, you know, a lot of notable yeah. high end wines. So he was thinking that that was a really high price. Took took a chance, and it turned out to be a great bottle. But the whole point of the article was how, when you're over time, you become you have these preconceptions of, well, that can't possibly be good because it's from Chile or it's from right. Syria or that area. It's Merlot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what, uh, so, you know, he, he said you have to always almost override that, your, your thought process and look a little bit deeper than that. And, um, you know, open up your mind to wine and, uh, try to, try to, try to tone down your preconceived notions that you might have about a certain uh, grape growing area. And that way you'll find more interesting bottles. Yep. Yep. So I'm, I'm interested in trying that wine. I haven't tried it and I put it on my list of things to buy. I went on the internet and kind of looked around and uh, you can get it for like about 35 bucks, which seems, seems super, super reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Probably an awesome being it, fun to try for sure. Well, you got anything else, Bill? No, I think we should we should wrap it. We're uh, we're you know we blew our thirty minutes right by. Uh oh. All right. Well, it's a good thing there wasn't much to talk about this week. For sure. Bye now. Cheers. Cheers.